This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 8, Episode 14. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network of podcasts, brought to you by Mountain Man Medical. Today is Thursday, May 25th, 2023, as of the recording of this episode, and I'm your host, Riley Bowman, joined today by co-host and producer, the man that makes it all happen behind the scenes, Matthew Marister. Uh, It's cool to be here with you, man. Likewise, likewise. I should mention, you know, it's been a while since I think we've, we've mentioned it. That when we say network of podcasts, if you guys are somewhat new to this to this podcast to this show, uh, there are several other podcasts that you can also check out, and we'd certainly appreciate it if you did. So we've got the uh, the off duty on duty podcast hosted by Brian Eastridge, the Firearm Trainers podcast hosted by Rob Beckman, and uh, those are those are a couple of good ones to check out. Did I miss any? And ours. I feel, like I'm, I feel like I'm missing one. Oh, that's why. Because, uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. There, there was one that you guys will probably still see episodes out there. One called the Not Your Average Gun Girls podcast uh, mm. that still has some episodes that you can um, check out. I think they've gone on and do, are doing their own thing now. But uh, I think you can, you know, that's part of our history. So network of podcasts. There you go. But we appreciate uh, be, having this opportunity to be with all of you today. Here's the Concealed Carry podcast. And, uh recognizing our 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 brother podcast we'll call them brother podcast because they're hosted by our brothers brian eastridge and and rob beckman so this is an episode about skill development and one of the best ways to get started somewhere on the path with respect to developing your own skill is by making sure you're a part of guardian nation so head on over to guardiannation.com to learn more about the many various benefits but one of those big benefits is being able to access um, all of our paid courses, all of them it used to be that, you know, we'd film these training courses and things and people would, you know, have to buy them individually. Uh, we even sold the DVDs. We still sell DVDs. In fact, uh, they're out in the warehouse there, you know, of those various courses. But as a Guardian Nation member, you get access to all of that content, all of those training courses and all of the other special behind the, behind the scenes, as well as, um, content that's not out there in the public uh, uh, sphere. All that's available in Guardian University, which is our online video repository. Tons and many, many hundreds of hours of content available, all inclusive as part of a Guardian Nation membership. Again, learn more and get signed up today at guardiannation.com. And then also today's episode sponsored brought to you by Barrel Block. Barrelblock.com. That's that's B A R R E L B L O K dot com. Barrelblock with a K dot com. Uh, dry fire training super important. One of the best ways to dry fire practice is with a barrel block in your gun. Uh, make a gun safe. Make it impossible for you to have a negligent discharge while you're doing dry fire and other forms of, of practice uh, in your home in your office place uh, if that's per, you know permitted and, or anywhere you may be. Check out Barrel Block today, barrelblock.com. Today's episode, we're going to be discussing a recent article that I wrote. Uh, Usually, it seems like we're discussing articles that Matthew or Jacob wrote, uh, because you guys write write more than I do. Uh, I I, I should write more than I do, but... uh, You're a busy guy. 
I'm not as efficient as you guys are either. Like when I tend to write, I tend to get like, I, I'm definitely well acquainted with uh, the thing known as writer's block. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's because I'm overly analytical and I tend to overthink a lot. And so I, I, I want to phrase things, you know, a certain way. And when it doesn't come out the way I want, then I'm just like, ah, forget it. And just let it, you know, that's why I have probably like two dozen half finished articles somewhere sitting, <laughs> <laughs> but, but occasionally I have a, an aha moment and, uh, I managed to, to crank one out and it actually usually happens as a result of something that I've seen online somewhere else, uh, like a discussion. Uh, a lot of times stuff comes up from like Facebook interactions or social media interactions that kind of inspire me in some way. And, uh, so that's kind of how this one came to be actually. So I'm, I'm setting, setting up the, the context here for this article, which by the way, is on the concealed website called pistol skill. How good is good enough? And for those of you that are listening to the podcast and would like a quick reference, you, you can go read that article yourself. It's got some uh, various images and some, some uh, graphic information, some, some charts that are in that for reference as well. Um, <clears throat> in fact, maybe I'll share one of those on the screen for those that are viewing the podcast so you can see that as well. But you can find a short link to the article at concealedcarry.com forward slash pistol skill will take you right to it. So concealedcarry.com forward slash pistol skill. This came about because I'm in a number of groups. Uh, I get invited to a lot of Facebook groups, uh, a lot, a lot of random invites they seem. And I just generally don't care that much uh, about a lot of these different groups. I'm probably in like 200 groups, but most of them are, are vastly ignored by me. There's a handful that I'm somewhat active in. Uh, but, uh, you know, and that kind of comes and goes like there's, there's some that I get invited to and I'll participate for a while until I feel like meh and then move on to something else. That's just kind of how my, I think my brain works is I get bored with things rather quickly. But, um, I, there's a number of groups out there that seem to exist solely for the purpose, Matthew, of basically showing off, you know, your fancy guns. Uh, some people refer to these as snob groups, uh, and some of them have the, the word snob in their in their uh, title, <laughs> uh, talking about you know like because they they proudly wear this on their sleeves of uh, you know th- this whole group exists for the sole purpose of showing off you know our high tier guns. Let's say and there's even been some other ones that have popped up now that are called the mid tier snob groups. <laughs> Uh, where it's, they, they say it's, you know, you got to post up, uh, mid tier or better quality guns and who's to to gauge exactly where high tier and and mid tier and low tier all begin and end anyway. And then some out of, uh, spite, whether it's spite or whether it's, uh, you know, irony, uh, have created uh, low tier snob groups (laughs) where basically any and all guns are welcome. And I, some of this, I just kind of chuckle at a little bit. Because the whole culture, and it's, it's a bit of a subculture that surrounds that uh, some of those communities, uh, just, just makes me laugh. As I find it rather uh, comical, sometimes a bit annoying. Uh, but even besides those groups that are very much geared towards or focused on the sharing of 
guns or gear or equipment, we, we re- we've recognized this for years. And it's true even not just in the firearm space, Matthew, right? Like even in, um, you know, auto driving or um, all kinds of things like, like you know, even uh, computer related, you know, technology endeavors, et cetera. Like we as human beings, especially as men, as males, um, is somewhat how we're wired as, as opposed to females to a lesser extent. Don't read into that too much, but that's just generally true that men tend to like gun or like tend to like gear and equipment and, and things and objects. Like that's partly why there's a higher percentage of, of people that are engineers and builders and things like that tend to be more men. There's other reasons too. Um, but uh, we just tend to be a bit more focused on things as opposed to people um, as, a, as, a, as a subset of our species, okay? That's just generally true, you know, observed by the, the, those on the psychological, uh, uh, you know, side of, of things. So my whole point here, Matthew, is I, I was thinking about this a little bit and how we tend to get so focused on gear chasing, we can call it. You know, the, the act of buying more and more stuff in the pursuit of performance um, or maybe believing that if I buy the fancy thing, I will, you know, somehow obtain a, a new level of skill even, which, you know, is, is definitely a fallacy. But we do see that. Right, mm-hmm. that it's yeah. like, well, I got to have the latest and greatest gun. You know, I got to have a compensator on it. I got to have a ported barrel. I got to have a magwell. I got to have a nice, you know, awesome trigger. Blah blah blah. I got to have an optic on there. Which, by the way, I'm I'm all for a lot of those things. And I own guns. I have guns that are ported and comped and optics and nice triggers. And I also have some that are completely stock. So um, I'm all for that stuff. But we got to keep it in perspective. In the in the perspective is is that gear and equipment can only take you so far, yeah. skill wise. In fact, it doesn't really take you anywhere skill wise. But it but it, I think I view it as a. I, I think that better equipment enables you to utilize your skill more efficiently. Um, but even that's got you know limits on it to a to a degree. I I I, I feel. I mean, what's what's your thought on that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I mean, there, there is that aspect of this whole gear chasing thing of psychologically trying to be better. And then I think that in any, in anything that you want to invest in your, invest your time in, whether it's guns or cars or computers or fishing or whatever, um, you start to research things and the advertising advertisers are so good at telling you at telling you what you need, even if you don't need it and getting you to believe that you need it. And somehow, you know, we justify buying new stuff because I think like, you know, we want new, people like to buy new things, even, even if they don't think it's going to make them better, you know, better, they like the newest thing. They like to have the the latest thing. Um, and it's, I think that's one of the things about like Amazon packages, people like just getting packages at their door. It's like Christmas all, you know, all year. But I think like, so there's a, there's a, I think a psychological aspect also to like 
I want to have like the latest stuff because it's cool and it's, it's interesting. And, and like, if it makes me better, awesome. If not, like I have the latest, greatest thing and I like showing it off. And so I think that there's, there's two, you know, two kind of um, things that drive us to buy, but is specifically to your, your article as, re- as it's related to like performance. Um, I think that a lot of people do, I think psychologically, we do think that, you know, if, if it gives us a little bit of an, an, an advantage, um, then it's worth it. And uh, like you said, and, and I like in your article, you kind of mapped it out as far as like how much in certainly gear, different gear impacts your performance in different ways. Um, if you have a, just a, 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 a firearm that, you know, is not functioning well, or it's just a poorly designed firearm. Yeah. It might, it, you might get some good performance, a, a different performance by just changing the gun. But, um, but you know, it might not be as much as maybe, um, changing, you know, the, the, the trigger in it or the sights or those, those things might have a different impact on performance wise. And so, um, I think, And it certainly depends on your skill level, how much that that gear is going to impact. And you do a great job in the article of kind of um, mapping that out and showing um, where, you know, how gear uh, can affect performance and when it kind of doesn't really matter as much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So with that kind of in mind, I, I taught a class in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, which, by the way, that class was attended by and filmed by John Korea and Neil Widener of Active Self Protection, and you can see the whole class up on their app. Um, at uh, you know, you can go to to your Play Store or, or Apple App Store and get the uh, Active Self Protection app, and you can find the whole class once you subscribe uh, in there that they filmed there. And uh, so, <clears throat> as I was thinking about you know some of these recent you know, posts and interactions I had seen online between some people that seemed to be very heavily focused on, you know, the gun and like how, well, I need a tricked out gun to get better performance and all that stuff. I actually went to that class with this intent in mind that I was going to shoot. And and some of it was because I knew that it was going to be filmed and that it was going to be viewed by hopefully, you know, thousands and thousands of people over the years. Um, that uh, I, I wanted that I wanted people to see me shoot and do my demos, my demonstrations, because I always try to you know demo the various concepts we're working on, the exercises and the drills that we shoot. I wanted them to see me do that with a variety of guns, and I wanted to do that to to make a point that look, um, and in that you see me shoot a. Of course, I'm you know those of you that know me know that I. I I've been running Sig Sauer guns for for several years now, uh, the P320s, the P365s, and as of lately, you know my competition guns, a 320X5 Legion, and my the gun I'm carrying right now as we speak is you know right so I'm in the holster in my KSG Army holster right on my waist right now is uh, the P365. Uh, it's basically the X Macro, but I don't have the 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 ported or compensated one. It's I've got the just a XL slide on an X Macro grip. So, and by the way, by the, by the way, both of those have some trigger upgrades to them as well. Um, so I'm not above uh, doing upgrades, 
you know, and, th- and things like that. Um, and I certainly know what those specific upgrades do for me. And, and also I think as you become a, a more skilled shooter, I think you become more particular about what you like. Um, and I think you're, you've earned that right to, to, you know, as you've put in the work behind the gun, uh, you learn what you like and what works best for you and what qualities and characteristics of a gun that you prefer. Um, and so I think you become a lot more particular, but, but here's the, here's the kicker is that while I think as you become more skilled, you become more, uh, more opinionated about your specific gun that you use the actual gun or the degree to which that gun is modified starts to matter less and less the higher your skill increases. And so throughout that class, throughout that weekend that I was teaching, actually it was a Thursday, Friday, um, I shot a, a 320 X5 Legion, a 365 uh, XL with an extra macro grip, uh, an HKVP9L, a Beretta 92 LTT Elite, Langdon Tactical Elite, um, a Glock 47, and a Springfield Armory TGO2, which is a really cool 1911 that I have. Um, most of those had optics on them, but uh, the the 1911 did not. It, it was just iron sights. Okay, now I could have actually run, you know, maybe one more gun in there that was just iron sights only, just to to make a point there as far as like irons or optic. Um, HK, Smith & Wesson, M, uh, Glock, Sig Sauer. Like, the point is, is, you see me demo with all those different guns over the course of two days of instruction. And the performance differential between those all is not as great as what you would expect. And I wanted to kind of subtly, like I wasn't, you know, trying to make a huge big point about it, but just kind of like, hey, you know, look, the gun doesn't matter as much as what you think it does. Mm -hmm. And so I want to encourage people to pursue skill development, to pursue learning, to get experience behind the gun, whatever gun, any gun, whatever gun you have, I want you to run that gun and I want you to get as good as you can get because the skill is ultimately like it trumps the equipment to a large degree. Because I can run any one of those guns, and performance-wise, I, I personally believe I'll be I'll be fairly close to being within about five percent. You know, whatever skill you want to, or, or drill, or whatever you want to measure, I think that I'll be within about five percent across the board on all those guns. And five percent is not a lot. Now, at the same time, an argument can be made. Well, I want you know, I want max performance if I was in a gunfight, you know, or in a shooting. I got. I want every possible advantage, and I, I certainly respect that, and 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 generally ascribe to that idea. Uh, and I've talked before about how years ago I was running Glocks. Before that, I was running a, a an XD XDM forty five pistol. Man, I ran that thing for several years. Got pretty good at it too. Then I got the you know started shooting Glocks and got pretty good at those. Um, and then I started shifting over to a P three twenty. And that was a multiple, you know, multi-month endeavor of go to the range, shoot the Glock, shoot the 320. I did a bunch of side-by-side comparisons and then ultimately decided just a little bit better performance consistently out of the, out of the SIG than what I was getting out of my Glocks. 
okay, well, I'm going to run the, the SIG because it's not a lot. It really isn't a lot. Um, between a full-size, you know, like Glock 17 and a full-size P320, it's honestly probably like a one and a half, two percent differential in performance. It's not a lot. But do I want every advantage? Yeah, sure. Why not? Absolutely. I think that makes sense. However, I also don't feel undergunned or disadvantaged necessarily when I choose to shoot any other gun. So, um, the final thing I'll, I'll say here is like, why? No, I'll save that for later. So I, I've been, you know, talking long enough on, on this particular top, you know, part of this. Um, but I just wanted to mention, and, and I, I have images included. There's screenshots from that uh, video recording that, uh, active self-protection did of me showing me shoot, you know, in that two day course, uh, each of those six different guns. Um, and so that's kind of where this all started was, Hey, you know, saw some, interesting discussions and things online and felt like people maybe overly, you know, placing too much importance upon the, the actual gun they shoot. And you see that comment or that question all the time as posts in different uh, groups online or forums where people are basically like, what gun should I get? Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm kind of like, bro, it doesn't matter as much as what you think. Yeah. And, And, and even though I like 320s and I'm sponsored by Grey Guns, which specializes in doing work on P320 pistols or six-hour pistols and also some HK pistols, uh, my recommendation to most people when they're just like out of the blue, like, what gun should I get? Uh, get a Glock 19, bro. Mm-hmm. Just get a Glock 19. Like, keep it simple. You know it's going to work. It's reliable. Performs, you know, well enough. Um, certainly usable. Big enough to shoot. Small enough to probably carry for most of you. You know, I have a lot of, and we've talked, we've talked about that before, you know, but that's like, do you want to keep it simple? Just go get in the clock 19 and then shoot the living crap out of that thing and get good. Because I promise you, you can become a very skilled shooter just running a basic stock clock 19. Yeah. I mean, that, and your point is, is, uh, is clear is that, you know, if you have the skills, if you develop skills, you can apply that to any any firearm the same way. I mean, a, a, a SIG P320 is not fundamentally that different than a Glock 19 where you have to change, you know, the fundamentals. It's the same fundamentals. Now, like if we're talking to somebody who shoots, you know, revolvers and then you put, you know, they, they've only shot, let's say they've only shot Glock 19s and you put a revolver in their hand, they've never held one. It, 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 there will be a learning curve in, in the gun probably would matter a lot more than going from a P320 to, uh, you know, a Glock 19, even if the grip angle is different and the, the bore axis is higher and all that stuff, like the fundamentals are the same. And so like, even if your fundamentals are the same between, you know, a, a, a type of action of a firearm, you know, if you have solid fundamentals, you can translate that over to shooting a revolver. You just got to get some time on it, the learning curve, but it's not like you're going to, it's not like everything's going to fall apart. And you you won't be able to to perform. It's just there's a there's a learning curve there, and so I think um, I I do the same thing. Like I think a Glock 19 is probably you want something that's reliable that you'll be able to find a holster for that that, that a, a good holster that so you can train with it appropriately um, that doesn't cost a ton of money so you can spend money on ammo and training um, that if it you know mags are easy to get exactly right and relatively and so, inexpensive. Yeah. And, and if you want to, you know, uh, go, go the optics route, you can go that way and, and like all those things. And I think that that's probably the best, uh, 
um, entry level like ideas just to say, look, get a solid gun that you, that you can that you can work. It fits your hands, and and if you have something that's unique to you, you you know, like I have smaller hands, you may say, hey, I like the forty eight, or I like mm-hmm. this because you know, in my hands it feels better. That's fine. Or you have big, huge hands in a P365 with the standard grip module is a little small. So you say, hey, I'd, I'd, I'd. so those types of things for sure. Um, but in general, don't get so wrapped up around, you know, I have to get the, you know, this gun because chances are you, 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 you probably will change, change some, somewhere yeah. down the road. Um, maybe you don't, but yeah. um, likelihood it, that you will try other things at least. Uh, yep. as, as you start to progress anyways. Yeah, I, I agree with that as well. You know, I mean, and, and you know, we're, we're in this day and age too, where there's, there's so many more options than what there used to be and, and viable options at that. And the customization of those various options is even greater than it's ever been. Meaning that, you know, most guns have some sort of, uh, you know, adaptation you can make as far as changing the grip size, uh, or width or depth, um, even the Glocks now, right? The Gen fours and newer, you can put you know different back straps on and make them you know bigger uh, for bigger hands. Um, you know the HKs are well known for uh, you know the uh, the VP nines especially, and also the P thirties. You can change the back strap, you can change the side panels on the grip, make them skinnier, fatter, thicker, etc. Um, so we you know, and then even with uh, respect to the, like the Glocks, right? Uh, so my standard answer is, yeah, just get a Glock 19 and go shoot it. And then if you're like, well, that thing is, you know, it feels like a massive brick to me. Okay. All right, cool. Yeah. Get a Glock 48. It's, uh, you know, pretty much the same size, uh, but skinnier and a little bit easier to use for smaller hands, but it still is a good performer, you know? So, um, and I, I, I have a little bit of a bias toward, towards the 48 versus the 43 X, uh, because I don't see that the 43X really gains you a whole lot in terms of that little bit shorter barrel. And I think the longer, especially if you're going to be iron sights, I think the longer sight radius, the 48 is probably beneficial and things of that nature. So, uh, so that's, that's a cool thing. Like you got, you got all kinds of options, 48s, 19s, P365s, P365XLs, P365X macros, P320s of all shapes and sizes and all kinds of, you know, including uh, regular polymer grips and tungsten infused polymer grips and and even aluminum grips, you know, uh, and and even with within those different uh, sizes available of those. Uh, so it, it's just amazing, you know, the the options we have today. Uh, but as long as a gun fits you reasonably well, then just just get one and get a quality one and then just learn to shoot the heck out of it. So the example I like to reference a little bit is when I started shooting competitively, um, even though I was carrying Glocks at that time, uh, because, you know, it's a Glock and is reliable and, you know, a trusted uh, option for defensive purposes. Uh, my competition gun was a Springfield Armory XDM-9 and it was the basically the competition gun, the 5.25 inch, you know, barreled model. Uh, and I ran that thing stock for a couple of years. And the only thing I did with it is I added uh, talon grips, the, uh, the sandpapery ones, you know, I wanted, I wanted maximum grip since it's a competition gun. And, uh, so that's the only thing I did to it. I added, uh, some, 
some additional grip texture to the grip itself. But the, the trigger was stock, the sights were stock, uh, and uh, just ran that in competition for a couple of years. And I knew, in fact, I remember talking to a friend of mine who was running the same gun, and he had all the fancy aftermarket stuff. You know, he had swapped out the grip safety, and he had swapped out the trigger, and I tried his trigger and everything, and I'm like, oh, that's really nice. It was much, much uh, lighter. Trigger pull weight, it was a lot shorter travel, it was like, you know, crisper, blah, 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 you know, all these things, right? And I'm like, that's really nice. And a part of me made, you know, part of that made me want to want to get one uh, or upgrade some of those things. But, you know, I was like, you know, it, it, but mine, mine works fine. I'm just going to keep shooting it. And I remember the very first trigger I ever upgraded was actually on my AR-15 because <laughs> I was shooting three gun at the time. And... All my all my ARs just had standard, you know, like mil spec factory triggers. You know, nothing special. Kind of heavy, kind of clunky. You know, you just you just kind of you you start pressing those mil spec triggers, and it's like pop. You know, uh, not not super awesome. But I was shooting three gun competitions with a pretty bone stock, you know, setup as far as AR and pistol and everything, and kicking dudes' butts. Um, I mean, I, I was still pretty young and undeveloped as, as a competitive shooter then, but I was, I was getting skilled pretty quickly and move, you know, my, my, every, every match, my, my name's just moving up the list, moving up the list, you know, just getting better with very basic equipment. And I, I, I learned when I first upgraded the AR trigger and went to, it was actually a hyperfire and that was a huge step up, uh, I noticed right away, I was like, wow. And, and honestly, what I noticed was it it wasn't an observation that suddenly my skill somehow was improved or unleashed. But what it what I what I perceived and what I felt and what I you know noticed as I was running this new trigger was oh, it's easier. Like <laughs> that's all it was. It's just it's it, now now that I'm just doing the same thing. Like nothing about my skill has changed, but it's easier. Like it's taking less effort. It's taking less brain power. You know, when I had to make a real careful shot with the crappy trigger, I mean, I, I had to just use a little bit more brain processing to stay focused and make sure, you know, I'm not moving the gun um, as I'm pressing that trigger. And now also that just became easier. So it allowed me to apply more cognitive, uh, you know, capacity to other things just made the job easier. And so I guess you could say in a way, well, hey, shouldn't that apply to, to everybody? Well, when you're pretty fresh and raw skill-wise, um, I don't think you really, you, you just don't know what you don't know. And you don't know enough to like really, like you're still working on the basics and the fundamentals. And well, yeah, it, w- it will make, I think it will make some some of that easier you know, to upgrade some things. And honestly, if, if I'm, if I'm giving you a list, it's like, you know what, on a pistol, uh, the easier it is to hold on to that gun, the better. So having increased grip texture is almost always a good idea. I think, mm-hmm. um, having sights that you can use because a lot of factory ones suck, frankly. Um, that's a good place to go. You know, that's a good place to start too. Okay. You know, make sure you have some good sights that you can see easily and in a variety of uh, conditions uh, and, you know, that, 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 that stand out, you know, that's 
you know, especially front sight, especially front sight. You want to be able to pick that out easily through the rear sight. And then um, after those two things, grip and sights, then, you know, I could do really good work with a stock trigger, but it gets a little bit easier when I put in a nicer trigger. So that would be like the third thing, but that's, that's well after the other two things, honestly, in my opinion, in terms of like a, a priority uh, order. Um, and see, what's crazy is in today's world, you can go so far above that now, you know, oh, I'm going to, you know, comp this thing. You put a comp on the end of it uh, with a threaded barrel. I'm going to, you know, uh, send my barrel off and get it, you know, drilled out and add uh, ports and slide cuts and, you know, and have the, have a ported barrel and things of that nature. You know, it's like, okay, cool, bro. Um, and, and some of those things are nice and, and certainly I see some of the advantages to them, but I still have excellent recoil management. And it can still run my guns really, really well, even without a comp and even without ported barrel. Uh, and so that's that's pretty far down the list in the priority things. But you see kind of this cool guy vibe in this subculture that's developed of got to have all these cool, you know, things on my guns now, these trinkets and stuff. But if you can grip and hold on to that gun well, see the sights or see what you need to see so you can place good hits on target and then have a, a workable trigger that that's honestly all you really need. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think that the, the, there's a part of it that, you know, you're only going to perceive, you're only going to be able to quantify if this modification or this change of your gun compared to what you used to use or whatever has any effect. If you're, if you know, if you have a baseline or if you have developed skills that are consistent, because if your skills aren't allowing you to perform consistently and, and you're at the, let's say a bill drill and one time you run it and it's five seconds and one time you run it and it's three seconds. Well, it's really hard if you take it, you know, okay, I'm going to try it with an optic and now I run it at four seconds. Well, are, are you, is it better or worse than before? Like it's, you're just too, your skills aren't developed enough or refined enough where you're at a level where you can say this enhance, enha- makes my, you know, decreases my time or makes me able to shoot better or more accurately or whatever. So early on, it when you're trying to put all these <clears throat> different variables and put a different trigger or different sites or it, it sometimes it, it doesn't have the effect or you can't even perceive that it is having an effect because your skills aren't consistent enough for you to be able to quantify it really. Yeah. And and quantifying is so important when we are actually going to make changes. I I think where possible it's, it's worthwhile to uh, try to quantify, you know, things and uh, to, to actually measure, you know, Hey, did did this make a difference and how much of a difference? And and so that means, you know, actually running, if you're, especially if you're going to, gather data over a period of time um, that's going to likely look like shooting a drill or several drills that are the same that you do repeatedly with, you know, over time um, as you test the different variables in terms of the equipment so that you can, and you got to have enough sample size of those different things too, so that you can, you know, so, you know, you're actually working with some clean data uh, and not a lot of people are able or, you know, either able from a time perspective, time, re- time and resource or, you know, or a monetary one, as far as, you know, the amount of, uh, 
ammo or whatever that's going to take to do. But that's that's kind of what I did when I made the jump over finally to switching basically everything over for me over to P320s and things, you know, from the SIG or the Glocks before was it took several months of shooting both guns um, and measuring enough data to then go, yep, this is the right step for me. And, and it's born out in, it's born out in the data. Um, and not just because it felt better or it felt nicer. Um, cause we're possibly want to eliminate subjective, uh, criteria and have purely objective criteria as much as possible. By the way, Brian on YouTube, I apologize. I, I didn't see your comment earlier. And this is a really good comment. He said, when someone asks about what their first upgrade should be, I always say the barrel after you wear out the first one. <laughs> <laughs> that's solid and then david on facebook says i love the simpleness you guys are discussing i appreciate that david thank you um just trying to be real you know like again i love gear i i, I love testing new things i love new guns just as much as the next guy it's not that i'm that i that i'm not or that i don't and that i'm not saying hey don't buy you know new guns and stuff because i i love i love new guns and uh, upgrades the guns and, you know, making things look cool even, you know. Like, sometimes you do things just because it looks cool. Why not? It's America, mm-hmm. man. I'm free to do that. Uh, you know, I have a couple of guns that have custom, custom Cerakote jobs on them. I, I don't do that a lot, but I have a few, you know. And it was just because I wanted to. And that's fine, you know. Um, but we got to be real and, under, you know, like, put things in perspective. And so, kind of going back to my article here, uh I, I talk about the importance of understanding the the ROI, the return on investment. And so, you know, if we're trying to achieve a certain thing skill-wise, like where are we going to get our maximum ROI from? And rarely is it actually going to come from anything to do with the, the gear or equipment, okay? Um, and it's going to come, like you're going to get your max ROI from investing in skill development, okay? And so I, I came up with this little... Uh, this this part of the chart, you know, this chart I did create. This is my own creation, and it's not meant to be like anything super specific or perfect or scientific in nature. But uh, I'm going to share this uh, part of the screen with you all, those of you that are viewing, and I'll try to describe it uh, for those of you that are listening only as well. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> what I have here is here we go. So we should be able to see that now. Um, you seen this, Matthew? Yes, sir. So I'm going to zoom in on this chart here so we can see it as big as possible. Uh, so influence of gear on performance. And so what this is, those of you that are unable to see it, is it's like your classic uh, standard uh, distribution type graph, right? A bell curve. And uh, on the left, on the lower portion, it's, you know, it's labeled as low skill. And on the right, it's high skill. And then the vertical axis is, uh, is, is gear. So it basically the whole, I, the whole point here is just to show that, Hey, early on, when you are a lower skilled shooter, the influence of the, let's just say the gun on your performance is pretty non-existent because you have so low skill to begin with, it, it almost doesn't matter. If you can't hold the gun still as you fire a shot, like it doesn't matter what gun you're doing that with. You're going to do it with all of them. Okay. But then as you start developing your skill and you get a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better, then that gear starts to have more of an impact. Now, where I, I where, where you kind of see the peak of this, Matthew, 
to me, that's where I would describe a person that is of, you know, good, solid, intermediate, or average skill. And and so, in other words, they're, they're pretty good with a pistol. And this is the type of shooter where remaining consistent and always running like the same gun, let's say, is most important. Is, is, is how I view this. And I'd love to h- hear your feedback on this. So I think the kind of the intermediate skilled shooter is it's most important for them that they're running a gun um, that works for them and that they remain consistent on and that switching to a different gun, to a different gun, to a different gun is probably going to impact this average skilled shooter the most. Uh, again, the low skilled shooter hey, they could shoot whatever gun and it's not going to matter because the skill's just not there. Now, as you move beyond the midpoint of that curve and up towards the upper echelon of skill, then because you are so skilled, then the influence of the of the gear, the gun, the specific gun starts to matter less and less again because the skill just so overwhelmingly, you know, makes that a non-issue. Mm-hmm. So for the kind of intermediate guy or gal, I think, you know, this is where I think it's wise to be like, hey, buy that Glock 19, stick with that Glock 19, train with that consistently, make that your thing. But then at some point, you're going to get, I think, skilled enough to where, not to like toot my own horn too much, but, you know, as, as I talked about, you know, shooting the HK and the Springfield Armory, then, you know, a 1911, which is a very different gun from, say, a Glock um, and the 320 and all that and you know, over the course of a two day class. Um, very little difference in performance between those different guns because I'm definitely on the upper side of the of the high skill uh, portion of this of this graph. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Carol. yeah, and, and and I think you know if I'm looking at this and thinking about and applying it to like let's say an optic, you know, uh, you start out with iron sights. You're 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 just trying to get your skill, d- develop skill, a baseline skill, and then when you start understanding, okay, this is how the gun functions. This is what a sight picture looks like. This is a, this is, you know, a, a trigger squeeze that, uh, or a trigger press that I, I, I need f- for this, this size target and everything. Then if you start to introduce something like, let's say an optic, then somebody, you, you, you'll start to see a change. Like maybe you'll say, Hey, th- I, I can start picking this up or uh, you change your sights and you say, I can start picking up this front sight better than I did before with the other iron sight that was, you know, you know, the stock sight. And so now, now, now you can start to compare things and, and it starts to improve maybe on your performance a little bit. And then you, you kind of peek out and you're like, okay, well, I changing my sights isn't really going to matter much because now I understand what the sight picture looks like, what, a, you know, the trigger press. And now it's more about refining those little things, um, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe, you know, um, becoming a little bit more uh, efficient in movement or a little bit more quick with my eyes or how I perceive things. And so it becomes more, it focuses sort of back on skill I, 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 in mm-hmm. sort of a way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and again, <clears throat> as I was mentioning earlier, as, uh, as a, as a person gets higher and higher skilled and the specific equipment matters less and less, um, what is an interesting kind of paradigm there is, is again, the higher skilled shooters tend to become even more 
in tune with their equipment and they tend to know very clearly what they like and what they do not. And again, it, I want to make be, make it clear that it probably doesn't matter as much to the high skilled shooter, the specific equipment or equipment modifications, but it matters to them because they're at a level where why, why would you run something that you, that you don't care for? You know, like, you know, distinctly what you prefer and so, of course, you're going to run, you know, the, the equipment that you like and that you prefer. But this is also where we see at the, like, highest echelon, you know, level of, of performance, like, say, in competitive shooting. Um, you'll, sometimes, you'll, you'll fairly commonly see top, like, world-level shooters, world, world-class shooters switch to a totally different company because that company suddenly approached them, you know, in the off-season and said, hey, you know, we'd like you to shoot for, for us now. You know, and so you see... Uh, well, like Niels Jonasson, I remember he joined uh, Team Canic, you know, a couple years ago. And, uh, you know, he's obviously doing phenomenally well with Canic Pistols. Uh, just won four national USPSA championships last year, you know. Uh, but Niels was running something totally different before that, right? Uh, I think he was shooting Glocks. Um, at least I, I know uh, going back eight, nine years ago, I know he was shooting Glocks that were, uh, uh, you know, highly modified uh or at least had some modif- modifications from like Terran Tactical because he was sponsored by them for a long time. Uh, you got guys that, you know, have jumped, you know, to Glock or maybe over to something else entirely, you know, SIG, let's say. I mean, Max has been there a long time. Uh, but before he was at SIG, he was running something else and he was doing very well with that, you know. So the point is, is you see at the highest level, uh, oh, JJ Rakaza, a great example, uh, joins uh, Beretta a year or two ago, you know, and doing awesome with with bread is in his hands so it doesn't matter so much you know they'll jump around uh because it doesn't matter so much but they will have preferences for what they do prefer mm-hmm. and that's kind of how i feel as well so anyway i i, I thought that that little chart's kind of interesting and, and worthwhile uh discussing so the next portion of our episode here today let's let's talk a little bit about uh performance and as it relates to like, and it's kind of the, well, it's the title of this article, how good is good enough? Like, how good do we want to try to be? That's a, that's a, I think that's a pretty challenging question to answer because it's like, all right, concealed carriers, you know, it's a concealed carry podcast. Uh, you guys are here and you're listening to the podcast because you want to learn about all things concealed carry. And you want to make sure that if, you know, and you're probably carrying a pistol or a gun because, uh, you, you know, you understand the realities of, hey, t- today might be the day that I need said pistol to defend my life or the life of someone I care about. And so how good is good enough to, to have like a sense of confidence that you have what it takes to should should today be that day how do you know that you're ready for that i think that's a very relevant question to ask but it's also one that's difficult to answer (laughs) where do you start with that matthew yeah well it's an individual the individual has to think about the question it can't be you know you have to think you know um what am i willing to to invest in this and developing a skill to be, to reach a certain, you know, standard. And if I'm going to invest time and effort and in, in money and in training and all that stuff, then, 
you know, what am I willing to divert, you know, change from doing this to this? Um, so if, if it's just getting in shape, right? Like uh, some people want to get like, you know, they don't want to just be, Hey, I want to be fit and healthy. They want to be able to lift weights and beat records and do all kinds of, you know, like, so what are your, what are your goals and what are you willing to invest your time in? And then say, is that practical given what I want to achieve? Like, if good enough is I want to be able to have a baseline skill level that in, you know, that I feel like I can defend myself with a firearm in a wide variety of uh, scenarios or, or, you know, um, then you have to, you have to put in the uh, enough work to reach that level. If you're just going to go on, well, I, I hope I'm better than the other guy on that day, or you can't really prepare for anything. So I'm just going to, you know, hope for the best. That's not really, right. you know, so that's not answering the question. The question is how good is good enough? Well, you know, look at what you're trying to achieve and, and, and then set a metric and then try to reach that metric. And I, I think um, that's how I would look at it. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I think those are some solid, uh, that's a solid approach. Um. Yeah, this was something I wondered about quite a bit. And I remember a couple of years ago, I stumbled upon an old, I mean, we're talking, well, a couple of years ago, it would have been like seven, it's probably about seven years old at the time I stumbled upon this this post. Uh, it was an old forum post on pistol-training.com, I believe is the correct URL. Um, this is the website that used to be owned and operated by Todd Lewis Green, who passed away from cancer, I think, in 2016 or 2017, thereabouts. Uh, he was a, he was a respected trainer. Uh, a lot of people trained with him. Uh, he, he, you know, was innovative and I think kind of revolutionary in a lot of his, you know, the, his approaches and the way he did things. Um, very smart guy. And today, I believe his website's uh, managed by uh, er, uh, Ernest Langdon at Langdon Tactical, and it's still still alive. And a lot of the old forum posts are still up. So I, I came across this old forum post um, that uh, was on Todd Lewis Green's website, but the post is by a man by the name of John Hearn, and John Hearn is a federal LEO. Um, he's an instructor. Um, he's, he's well entrenched with the range master crowd, uh, Tom Givens and, and, you know, he teaches classes for range master or teaches some joint classes with them as well. Um, John po posted this thing up where he's basically asking about it. He went about it. I think in a lot, and he probably asked the question in a lot more intelligent way than, than what I am here today. But, uh, basically the whole idea was how good is good enough? And like, where do we, you know, kind of rank these different, cause he referenced different drills or standards of performance and you know, what, where do we put all this stuff in a spectrum of trying to answer this question of, you know, what, what describes high level skill? Uh, what describes, you know, what's good, what we think maybe is good enough uh, in whatever context that that looks like, but what he ultimately put together and I'm going to share it on the screen now is uh this chart that he calls the typical performance and automaticity speculation. Now, that's a, that's a bit of a mouthful. It's, it should be noted that this is not intended to be perfect or, you know, I wouldn't expect everything that you see listed on this chart to be, you know, exact. 
um, cause some of these things are pretty hard to figure out exactly, you know, where they would be, but it's, it's, it's intended to be, that's why it's typical performance. And then it's a speculation about what that indicates as far as, um, speculation about what that indicates about your level of automaticity in performing or doing that thing. And so you'll see there's kind of like these four columns and the far left says performance too poor to suggest automaticity. And then the next column says performance suggests some automaticity. And then the third column, so as we're progressing left to right, says performance sufficient to strongly suggest automaticity. And then the final column says performance impossible without automaticity. Okay. And now that, that final one you could describe as, Hey, that's, that's where uh, that's, that's, we're talking, those are the top tier shooters. These are your grandmasters, maybe USPSA masters, um, IDPA masters are kind of knocking on that door a little bit. Uh, certainly the, the, the best IDPA master class shooters are, are in that category. Um, this is stuff like if you can do a sub two second build drill, so below two seconds, that's a, a level of skill that is impossible without some automaticity in doing, you know, performing that that drill. Okay, on the far left of this performance too poor to suggest automaticity. I mean, that's anything from skill level zero to I don't know what you know the the upper limit of that category would be, but. You know, we're talking basic level skill, okay? And it's, these are the shooters that are just learning. They're just starting out. Uh, maybe you've even been doing it for a while. Just don't do it very well because <laughs> uh, they haven't practiced enough. Well, that is performance too poor to suggest automaticity. Now, what's what do we when we say automaticity, what do we mean? This is skill where it is, well, the, the, the layman's term to use would be muscle memory. It's ingrained in your muscle memory, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, some people don't like to use that term because they're like, well, muscles don't have memory. Your brain's what's got memory. And yeah, that's true. But uh, muscle memory is a term that people generally understand. And they, they understand that to mean, hey, um, it's like riding a bike is a phrase that's used. Well, you learned to ride your bike when you were five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, rode a bike throughout your childhood, and maybe don't hop on one for 20 years. Well, guess what? In about 30 seconds, you'll be back on that bike riding. You might not be quite as sharp as you were 20 years before, but you'll be able to ride the bike because those neural pathways were already built and optimized and learning and, and riding a bike in your early years was done so frequently that you can do it in your sleep, dang near. It's subconscious level of performance. It's it's automatic performance because it, it's skill. It's learned to a, to a point where you don't think your way through the various steps of how to do the thing. You just, just, you just say, I'm going to do the thing. And the steps automatically occur because you've already wired that into your brain. Uh, driving a car is the same way for most of us as adults. Some are still learning, maybe, perhaps. <laughs> depending, mm. We all know who some of those bad drivers are. But for most of us, uh, you don't think about how you uh, start the car. You just put the – well, most of us are using a like push button these days, too. But, you know, if you had to – crank the car up like you get to a point you don't even think about how you do that you just put the key in and you crank it and you know the you know when it's time to let go right you don't think about putting it into drive or reverse you just as far as like 
Well, I reach up and I place my hand around the handle and I grip it like this. And then I have to pull slightly back to unlock it and then pull it down yay far as I watch the needle move across and coordinate all that action, you know, and stop it in the proper place. And you don't think about how much you feather the, the, the accelerator as you start to go. You don't think about how you actually press the brake paddle when it's time to stop. If you have to brake suddenly, you just do it. If you need to brake gradually as you're approaching a stop sign, you just do that too. As you make the turn around a corner, you don't think about where are my hands on the steering wheel and how you know what's the precise angle I need to place the steering wheel at. You just do it. And it all happens automatically because you've learned how to drive to where those neural pathways have been built and myelinated, which is a term that's sometimes used to describe the process of myelin, which is a an actual it's a sheath that's formed around those neural pathways that makes them faster and more efficient and optimized so that when you fire one neuron over here in the brain, all of the connections that that one is, all those other neurons it's connected to, all fire at the same time. Because that's already been built and myelinated and that myelin sheath around those, 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 there's, those neurons make it faster and more efficient. That's a part of, you know, as you learn uh, to do a thing again and again and again and again and again and again, that's what's happening is those pathways are being built and formed and then they are basically sheathed with insulation that makes them work faster and more efficient. And so basically what this chart is showing is there's a point where in your shooting skill, you you start to achieve performance that is evidence of how much automaticity you have achieved. And then what I basically did with this, Matthew, is I took John's chart and I combined it with that uh, graph I showed earlier uh, of the influence of gear on performance just to kind of draw a correlation of where I think some of that sort of fits in. And then I also drew a line in the very center. And it's the line that's between the second and third columns. The second column being performance suggests some automaticity and the third column being performance su sufficient to strongly suggest automaticity. And I suggest that that's the dividing line. And I think it's to the right of that line where we want to try to be. Because what it suggests, because it's right of that line, that's where your driving skill is at. All the stuff I described that happens automatically is you just think, I want to go from point A to point B. And you don't think about how you get there. You just get there. The, the car becomes the hand, becomes the arm, becomes the brain, becomes you. Like the car is just an extension of you. That's really where we want our pistol skill to be when it comes time to draw and use that gun we want the gun to appear in our hand and it just is an extension of us as we then make the, the, the decisions of shoot don't shoot oh that's a non-threat target where's my threat what is exactly my threat doing now do i continue shooting when do i stop do i try to use other tactics, find cover, for instance? Do I need to take into account what's my backstop, et cetera, et cetera? So we become freed up. Like as you drive, you're able to think about things. You're able to have conversations with people. Well, some of us are able to have conversations <laughs> and still drive. Um, because 
the driving is just an extension of you and it happens automatically. And so I drew this line in the center of this chart and I suggest that we should strive to reach skill beyond this line because that's where our driving skill is at. Yeah. That's what we want our shooting skill to be like. And then I yeah. also added some percentages that, that could be debated, but I feel pretty confident about these numbers. And this is of all shooters. 95% of, of all shooters are probably in that first column. And then mm-hmm. probably 3 to 4% are in that second column. And less than 1% are in that third column. And then less of 0.1% are probably in that fourth column of all shooters. Okay, so don't, uh, this is not just, uh, yeah, don't read into this too much, but it's just to, to demonstrate that this is where we want to try to be. And if you can get there, it, this kind of represents about where you're at in the broader scheme of everybody else. And that's probably a pretty good place to live skill-wise yeah. from a getting in a defensive gunfight scenario. Yeah, because we're go ahead. No, 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 no. I, and your point is is perfect because like it goes back to kind of what I kind of what I mentioned earlier is like you have to you have to say you know if we're looking at this and say okay there's a line here and you're not I want to be clear that you're not saying and I'm not saying that you even you know said this but for for the listener you're not saying that anyone below this line or to the left of this line won't survive a deadly force encounter, can't use their gun to defend themselves right. and is sure to, to lose. Right. Like we're not saying that um, there are plenty of people that ha- are extremely unskilled with the firearm and defend themselves with the firearm and, and, and it works out great for them. Like that's, that's great. Um, but when the problem becomes more complex, there's more things going on Um or you're in a, you know, you're in a vehicle uh, versus, you know, standing on the street or standing, you know, at your front door. Um, you have to worry about the backstop. There's multiple def- attackers. You, 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 uh, your gun, you know, has a, a, a malfunction or um, something like that, right? Like um, you go to draw and your shirt gets, you know, caught up on uh, your gun gets caught up in the shirt. Like these complicate the the problem. And so to have automaticity in these other areas allows you to overcome those things better and more quickly and, and, and more efficiently and, and use your brain for all this other, you know, the, the variables that you can't control. And so it gives you a better probability. It gives you, uh, it might allow you to make better choices and maybe not even have to use your fire. Maybe you do move to cover mm-hmm. and that's enough, or maybe you draw the firearm and, you know, you don't have to fire because you are moving to cover and now you don't have to, you, you don't even have to use your fire. So what, it, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, yes, we want to get better. We want to get to this point where we have automatic skills in, 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 in the, the certain baseline automatic skills so that we can better handle the situation in front of us and give ourselves a better opportunity to survive. It, it doesn't, it doesn't, ensure that um no but you're right. giving yourself the best opportunity and when we're talking about you know driving a car you know you you don't take a brand new driver and put them out in a blizzard with frozen streets and say it's the same as driving during the summertime no like they have they they don't have the ability to 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 under they've never gone through it they don't understand how how you know so um as you develop those skills now when you're driving 
you know, you can start adding these other things and it's not so, it, it doesn't overwhelm your mind where you just shut down and you say, I can't, I can't process this anymore. Um, and so I think when we're talking about surviving potential, uh, you know, deadly attack, we want to give ourselves the best opportunity to, to survive, not just the bare minimum of any, you know, given situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, spot on. Spot. I, I love the way you ex- you explained all of that, um, and, and you're spot on in that. This is not like you said to suggest that wherever you currently are in your skill set um, is or is not good enough. That's actually irrelevant, uh, and whether it will ensure that you prevail in some kind of event, uh, defensive event, uh, because even high skill people just it isn't their day. You know, like it's the crap happens to even the best of us. Right. But what this is about is, okay, ideally, does it sound like a good thing if I can make my ability to perform with a pistol in my hand um, as automatic as possible from the, from the perspective, I'm not talking about like you, you're shooting and not thinking. No, I'm actually talking. It's actually the opposite. You're actually thinking more while you're shooting because you're thinking about the situation it's about not having to think about the act in the various steps of how you shoot that's that's the difference here and that's really key and and i believe that when you get to the right of this line that i've drawn on this this uh chart of mine uh that that that's the realm that you are entering is you're at a level where you can do those things. You can shoot and not think about the shooting, but you can shoot while you're thinking of the thing that's taking place that you're trying to fix from the act that you know that you are now involving uh, a gun into that equation. I think that's really important. And now, if you're not at that level, that's okay. But and and maybe you might not be at that level for a long time. I don't know. It takes work to get there. And I think the work is worthwhile. Um, and 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 I don't say that like you must get to this you know level, whatever it is. I just simply suggest strive to reach mm-hmm. skill beyond this line. And as long yeah. as you're moving towards that, I think that's good. So like wherever you are, as long as you're moving in the right direction, that's good. Keep doing that. There's always room for improvement. So keep improving. Don't give yeah. up. And this kind of gives us a a a place like that, t- that we can shoot for. Well, it might take me six months. It might take me six years. It might take me 20 years to get to that line and beyond it, but I'm striving for it. Mm-hmm. And if I keep moving towards it, I'm going to get there one day. And that's really what the saying. And then it, it's easy to pe- for people to get lost in the weeds of, you know, focusing on the specific, you know, the, the list, for instance, different USPSA classifications, different IDPA classifications, different time standards for different drills that are kind of, you know, that are known. Uh, maybe not everybody listening here today is familiar with them, but things like the fast test or a build drill or a failure drill, which is also uh, your classic two to the body, one to the head. Um, things of that nature, okay? You can get you know, lost real quick in the weeds on that stuff. But those are what those really are, are just metrics for you to gauge. So you kind of get a sense of where you are in the spectrum, because it's hard to figure that out. But if you, you know, it's got the FBI bullseye qualification um, or the FAM qual, uh, federal air marshals qual, 
the casino drill. You can do or shoot any number of these things. Okay, and the easy one is go, you know, shoot USPSA or IDPA and earn a classification. And then that'll very quickly tell you about where you are in the spectrum. And the whole point of of being able to do that is just so you can gauge where you are so that you can actually tell yourself, I'm striving for this thing, for this standard, for this line, if you will, to get beyond that. How do I know I'm actually getting there? Well, these are some of the speculations that have been made that, that suggest where people are at. And that's what yeah. this is all about. So Absolutely. start wrapping it up. Um, all of this discussion here today was to talk about how the gun matters less than what we think. And ultimately it, what matters in terms of return on investment is skill development. And that takes work and it takes effort. It takes training, practice, maybe taking some classes, Right. Uh, and, uh, that may, that means time and it means effort and it means money. Um, but it's money and time and effort worth spent in my opinion. And then the other half of this discussion was, well, what are we striving for? You know, skill wise, and what does that mean? And what does that look like? And how do we know when we get there? So I hope this, this episode has been helpful for you in, in understanding and making sense of that and, and perhaps gauging that for yourself. Uh, Matthew, what are some of your kind of final uh, summations, if you will? Yeah, yeah. I, I would just say practically, you know, like like you said, just um, make 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 a goal and 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 see what's import- most important to you, and try to achieve those goals and 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 give it give it put in effort to do that. And um, we're not saying that you know you have to have a desire to become a, a you know a USPSA masterclass shooter, um, but if that's your your goal, awesome. If but just don't settle for mediocrity. D- d- it, it, we're not talking about, you know, um, we're talking about potentially saving your life, your family's life and, and put in and uh, put in work um, where objectively you can say, I'm, I'm, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm equipped to, to, uh, to handle any situation that might come my way and not, not over exaggerating your skills or not understanding your skills, but understanding what they are and saying, yep, I, 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 I'm, I'm good here, but I still want to progress and I still want to get better. And I think, um, you know, you, we owe it to our families to protect, uh, to protect them and protect people that can't protect themselves. So if you, if you're gifted enough to be a good pistol shooter or have that, you know, proclivity to do that kind of stuff, then, then, you know, work on those skills because uh, somebody, somebody might, you, you might very well be the, the difference in somebody, you know, surviving and it might be you, it might be your family or some, somebody you don't know. So, um, absolutely. Yeah. So I appreciate those thoughts. And it's not just about you being, I mean, it is about that, but it's not only about being the difference in pres- preservation of say your life or someone else you're trying to protect, um, but also in helping avoid mistakes, mm-hmm. in harming those that um, shouldn't be harmed, you know, by your action as the good guy, because uh, we 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 know those things happen too, and we, I mean we talk, them all, talk about them pretty frequently on the justified saves episodes and the what not to do, you know, category quite a bit, uh, where mistakes are made and people get hurt, people get you know wrong, people get shot, um, things of that nature, you know. So um, yeah. Yeah, so it's also about that. And I think if your ability to perform is more uh, 
automated, more subconscious, whatever you want to call it. Uh, that's a good thing from that perspective as well, allowing you to focus on the, hey, what's 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 going on here and making sense of it and then making good decisions. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Matthew, thanks again, buddy, for your time today and for doing this episode with me. I had a good time. Thank you. Thank you, brother. I, I think it was a worthwhile discussion to have, and hopefully all the rest of you think so as well. You're always welcome to reach out and, and contact us at podcast at concealedcarry.com. Questions, suggestions, topic ideas, etc. Happy to hear from our listeners. Podcast at concealedcarry.com. Until next time, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. Take care.